Chapter 9, The Divine Lover Noting the advent of the autumn season, with nights fragrant with the perfume of jasmine flowers, Krishna, assuming his yoga maya, or power of illusion, decided to enact his long-promised play with the gopis. The full moon of the harvest season rose large and red, painting the eastern horizon with vermilion. The Yamuna gushed and gurgled with the rains, and the forest of Vrindavan gleamed in the moonlight, filled with luxuriant vegetation and perfumed with the scents of a thousand newly opened night flowers. It was a night which poets rave about and lovers dream about. It was a night calculated to strike a spark of desire, even in the heart of the sternest ascetic. What did it not do to the gopis, whose hearts had already been churned up by the god of love? As the moon rose like a crimson disk on the horizon, Krishna placed his lips on the magic flute and poured out his divine call of love. The music drenched the air of Vrindavan and flowed into the hearts of the gopis, making them forget everything else, neither duty nor honor nor husband, no children, nor house did they have. In the, indeed, they forgot their very bodies. Leaving everything, they flew to their tryst with their lover. Not, but because of their total absorption in him, they did not even notice that many others were also moving in the same direction. As soon as the first plaintive call of the flute was heard, they left unfinished whatever work they had been engaged in and ran to meet their lover. Some who were engaged in milking cows put down their pails. Some kept the milk on the fire and left it there. Some who were feeding, feeding their babies or giving food to their husbands. Leaving all these chores half done, they hurried towards the forest, totally oblivious of their neglected duties. Some were bathing or dressing or applying makeup, but even though they had put on only one earring, and applied collyrium to one eye, or were only half-dressed, they left everything and ran as the musk deer runs, maddened by the magic of the music of the flute. Though their menfolk tried to stop them, they would not listen, for their minds were completely absorbed in Krishna alone. Hair flying, bells tinkling, breast thudding, they ran through the moon-drenched streets and forest paths lured by the strains of that divine melody. Some who were locked up in their rooms by their husbands closed their eyes and became absorbed in him and gave up their earthly bodies then and there. The rest reached him, panting and excited, with parted lips and heaving breasts. Their whole attitude was wanton. They saw him only as their lover, but one more test had to be passed before they achieved their desire. The jiva in its quest for God has to overcome many obstacles. Only the intrepid who never give, gives up, come what may, achieve the desired union. The gopis had already proved themselves to be devoid of ego. Now they had to prove themselves ready to follow his path, even he, him, if he himself seemed to spurn them. The Lord spoke to them, O fair ones, what is it that brings you here at this time of night? Have you come to admire the beauty of the forest? 
bright with the silvery rays of the moon, in which case you may return home, since you have seen it. If, however, you have come here due to your attraction for me, then it is my duty to remind you that the highest duty of a woman consists in looking after the needs of her husband and children. Wives should never abandon their husbands, even if they are ill-mannered, old, incurably ill, or poverty-stricken. To have illicit relationships with a lover is a bar to heaven and a stain on one's reputation on earth. By thinking of me and meditating on me, you will attain a high state of spiritual love. It is far better than physical love. Go back to the security of your own homes, therefore, or else be forever branded as abandoned women, crazy with love for Krishna, the cowherd boy of Vrindavan. What can I offer you which is comparable to the security of your own homes and husbands? My way is fraught with danger. It ill befits girls like you to be seen here with a boy like me at this time of night. Only the soul which hangs on to God through all the trials and tribulations which beset the path of devotion, who hangs on through the hours of darkness, when we feel that God himself has forsaken us, is fit to attain ultimate union with him. When they heard these harsh and cruel words from one whom they had expected to get nothing but love, they fell back like stricken deer, helpless and wounded. O Lord of our hearts, they begged, do not desert us now, after we have left everything and come to you. Our only fault is that we love you too much. Of what use, O Lord, is the love of husband and children, productive as it is of misery in the end? You have reminded us that the natural duty of a woman consists in the service of husband, children and relatives. But art thou not our closest relative and only husband, the dearest and most cherished object of desire for all jivas? Having stolen away our minds, which used to find delight in home life, and having put restraints on our hands and feet, which used to occupy themselves with mundane household tasks, why do you now send us away? The moment that you allowed us to have contact with your lotus feet, from that moment it has become impossible for us to look at any other man. O oh, thou universal Redeemer, be gracious unto us who have come to thee, forsaking hearth and home and husband and relations, beholding thy form which is capable of bewitching the three worlds and hearing the enthralling melody of thy flute. Who is the woman who will not be charmed and drawn away from the path of duty? Therefore, O Manamohana, charmer of minds, do thou place thy cool, fragrant, lotus-like palms on our heads and assuage the heat which is within our hearts. So saying, they sank to the ground in a state of despair. Then the Lord, who had only been testing their constancy, bent down and lifted them up one by one. With the tip of his yellow garment, he wiped away their tears and kissed their pale lips till they reddened like roses in the sun. Then tenderly, he led them to the banks of the Yamuna, where the setting was romantic enough to enchant the heart of any woman 
and played the game of love with them. They spread the soft upper part of their attire, one on top of the other, and thus made a downy bed on which the lord of their hearts could relax. They then sat round him, stroking his limbs, his hair and his face, fanning him with leaves and nestling close to him, while the bolder amongst them would even snatch a kiss. Krishna gazed at them, and ill-clad and poor though they were, in his eyes they were lovely beyond compare, for they were lit with an inner radiance which had nothing to do with earthly adornments. In all his checkered career to come, he was never to meet with love like this again. Thus, for a short time, they were immersed in, in bliss. After some time, however, pride reared its ugly head, and the thought darted unbidden into their minds that they had got this essence of sweetness for their very own, due to their cleverness and charm. The sense of duality was re-established, and they felt themselves to be separate from him. As soon as they felt this, they found that he had indeed separated from them. He had vanished, and with him the light which had bathed the bands seemed also to have gone. They were alone in the middle of the night, on the suddenly unfriendly banks of the river, with the forest looming behind, dark and menacing. Now that the Lord had gone, they realized the utter futility of life without Him. Life without the presence of God is a dark and dreary forest infested with strange and terrifying spectres. There was no kind hand to help them over the stones, no strong arm to carry them over streams and remove the thorns from their path. Hither and thither they ran, falling and crying like demented beings. They addressed the trees and creepers. O Mallika, O Maliti, O Sandal, O Champ, have you seen our beloved? O Tulsi, have you seen Krishna? You are very dear to him. He wears you close to his heart in his garland. Speaking thus, the gopis got so identified in consciousness with him that they began to enact all the various miracles of his childhood. The creepers trailed their flowers and tendrils across their faces as if to comfort them. The trees sighed their heads to assuage their sorrow, but though they reached, searched everywhere, they could not find him. After a while, they realized that the one who was the most fortunate amongst them, who was still humble, was not in their midst. Her name was Radha, luckiest amongst those gobies who were themselves luckier than ordinary mortals. Radha was specially dear to Krishna, said that she was the incarnation of his prakriti or nature. The Lord's prakriti is simple yet inexplicable. So also was Radha, sweet and beguiling at times, willful and contrary at times, yet withal filled with adoration for her Lord alone, careless of everything but the constant memory of the Lord, the one Purusha, she was the Prakriti. As the gobies were thus searching frantically, they suddenly saw two sets of footprints in the sand, highlighted by the moon. Ah, 
Here I can see two sets of footprints, one gopi said. Look where they have wandered off, with their arms entwined round each other's neck. Let us follow. Oh, look, said another. Here he must have carried her in his arms, at this little stream, for there is only one set of footprints which have sunk deep as if he was carrying some burden. And look, pointed another. Here they have sat down, and he has made a jasmine garland for her, for I can see the remains of it. Oh, fortunate Radha, how I wish I were you. So lamenting, they wandered on and suddenly came upon the object of their envy, their self. Ever since she had heard the story of how Krishna had carried Sri Dhamma on his shoulders, she had cherished a secret wish to be carried by him in a similar manner, and at that very spot she had begged him to carry her. He had knelt down, but just at that moment the thought had occurred to her of how fortunate she was and how she would boast of her conquest to the others. As soon as her ego asserted itself in this fashion, the Lord disappeared along with her pride, and she fell to the ground in a swoon, unable to bear the separation from him, even for a second. The other gopis sprinkled water over her and whispered the magic mantra of Krishna's name, and she revived. Come, let us search for him, they urged, but I could not move. I cannot, she whispered. I can only lie here and perish if he does not come. They half carried her and went to the banks of the Yamuna, where they had sported with him earlier and sang a piteous song. In it is portrayed the utter misery and darkness into which the soul of the seeker is plunged when it finds itself separated from its maker. All have experienced the poignancy of this separation. For one blissful moment they experience union with God, and then due to the limitations of the human body and the pull of the ego, they are dragged back into the mundane level of existence, and the searing pain they feel is indescribable. It is the pain of a limb which has been torn from its socket. The jiva thirsts to break the bond of mortality and attain immortality, but unfortunately physical ties forged by its past karma keep it in bondage till the time is ripe for its release. O dearest Lord, they sang, by thy presence here, this forest of Vrindavan has become the most beautiful place on earth. Art thou not the ocean of kindness? Will thou not grant us thy vision? We live only for thy sake and have been searching for thee in all directions. O adorable one, thy manifestation is as much for the well-being of the entire world as it is for removal of the sorrows of the people of Raja. The only remedy for the ache which gnaws at our hearts is thy company. So do thou be gracious unto us thy handmaidens. O lovely one, we quiver in agot of thy delicate feet, treading the thorny, stony paths of the forest. Even our bosoms are too hard for thee. Yet do thou place them on us, and we will hold them with extreme caution, so as to avoid injury to them. 
Thus the gobies sang in their agony, an intense longing to meet the Lord. And suddenly, just as he had disappeared, Krishna reappeared in their midst, looking very like the God of love. How could you think that I had left you? He asked tenderly. Not for one moment were you out of my sight. Every step you took, I took one beside you. Every time you faltered, I held you up. How else do you think you have remained safe in this jungle, infested with wild creatures at this time of night? The Lord is ever with those who place their lives in His hands. A life once entrusted into His hands is safe forever. We may stumble on the stones of misfortune. We may be pricked by the thorns of sorrow, but unknown to us, His hand will be there to lift us up and wipe our tears. Having seen Him, they felt as if their life breath had returned, and they clung to Him. There on the banks of the Yamuna, where they saturated with the fragrance of jasmine, where the Kalindi had provided sandy dunes for Him to recline, Krishna, the master of all the universe, who has his seat in the hearts of meditating yogis, now sat on the seat made by those simple maids of Raja, who worshipped him with all the usual offerings of love, fondling him and stroking his limbs, which were reposing on their laps. They questioned him about the different types of love. Some love others according to how much they have loved in return. Some love even those who have no love for them, and others have no love for anyone, neither for those who love them, nor for those who are indifferent to them. Please tell us who are the most virtuous amongst these. The Lord said, In the case of mutual love, the motive is only self-interest. This is only a barter and cannot be called real love. This is the type of love which is normally found amongst human lovers. Among those who love others, even if unrequited, there are two kinds, those who are by nature kind and loving, and those like parents who love their children without expecting reciprocation. As for the last type mentioned by you, those who don't do not anyone, even if they are loved, these are of three types. The Atma-Ramas, or those who are ever absorbed in the Self, for whom everyone is included in the Self. Apta-Kamas, or those who have no wants of any kind, and thus need have no dealings with anyone. And the brute man, who has no gratitude or love for anyone, even those who love him. However, I do not belong to any of these categories. If I seem to be keeping away from you, it is only to strengthen your desire so that you will attain me faster. How can I not love you who have left your home, family and position in the world for my sake? Even if I were to serve you for countless divine years, I will not be able to repay you for this glorious act of self-surrender, prompted by love alone, prompted by selfishness, breaking asunder the powerful chain of attachment for home and worldly love. The gobi's pangs of separation were assuaged by the Lord's words. He then led them to perform the mystic dance known as the Rasa Leela, 
the play of love. He took each of them separately to a special chamber in the bushes and attended to their toilet with his own hands, doing their hair, applying their makeup, and adorning them with ornaments. He then arranged them in a wide circle in which each gobi danced with one Krishna, and he himself stood in the middle, supplying the music for the dance. Like a sapphire between two golden beads, Krishna's blue form shone between two gobis. The sky filled with celestials who had come to watch this carnival of love. Heavenly limits joined with the flute and flowers were rained on the heads of these fortunate damsels. The tinkling sound of their bangles, bells and anklets mingled with the music and filled the air. The gobis were not aware of the fact that there were so many Krishnas. Each one felt that she was alone with her beloved, and forgetting all modesty, she clung to him and caressed him. He in turn embraced her and transported her to a state of bliss before experienced by anyone, for it was no ordinary physical union that they experienced, but the ultimate union of the Jivatma with the Paramatma, the realization of the great Upanishadic mantra, Tattvamasi, Dattava, which is attained by striving yogis after intense and prolonged austerities. This experience was granted to those poor and unlettered gopis of Vrindavan because the one great quality which transfigured them, the alchemy of love, which transformed them and made them into creatures of light and glory. Such love transcends the boundaries of time and space and soars above both physical and mental planes. The only bond which can bind the infinite to the finite is the bond of love which sweeps away man-made barriers and soars into the un. The gobies had no sense of separation. Like the Ganga losing itself in the ocean, their souls submerged in the ocean of bliss that was Krishna. Though their love was carnal in nature at first, yet through contact with Him, who is the Supreme Being, it was transformed from the dross of physical passion to the effulgence of a divine union. This particular incarnation of the Lord was also still salvation on all jivas in whatever way they, they approached Him, either through love, fear, anger, affection or devotion. Later on, in the ba battlefield of Kurukshetra, he was to tell Arjuna, In whatsoever way a man approaches me, in that same guise will I go to him, for men approach me in many ways. If he was capable of liberation even to a Putana and an Agasura who came to kill him, why would he not grant the same status to the gopis, whose only fault was that they loved him too much? They knew that they could never hope to have him as their husband, so they longed to have him as their lover, and he went to them in that guise. Since their love was not lodged in some worthless human being, but fixed on him who is the eternal Purusha, it was sublimated, and they achieved that state of direct union with him, which even striving yogis get with the greatest difficulty. Therefore the Rasa Leela is also known as Brahmaratra, or the night of Brahman. As the night advanced, the music faded, 
and only the soft sound of their ankle bells could be heard. Slowly, even this died away as they became tired of dancing. Their eyes started to close like half-open buds, and their heads drooped on their beloved's shoulder. They were unaware that their garlands and ornaments had slipped away and were incapable of attending to their loosened tresses and garments. He wiped their perspiring faces tenderly with his own cooling hands, and his arms encircled their slender waists, and they drank the nectar of his lips for which they had been longing. Some clung round the neck of their own particular Krishna. Others kissed his hands, others his lips, and others stole the half-eaten betel nuts from his mouth. Their locks were falling in abandon, their clothes were loose, their blouses open, but they knew not nor cared, for they were quite unconscious of their bodies. He was their husband, their lover, their lord, nearer to them than friend or relative, nearer to them than father or mother, dearer to them than life itself. He was flesh of their flesh and soul of their soul. They had no separate existence apart from him. He alone existed. They were submerged in a state of unity in which all is one and there is no other. Thus on many a moonlit night like this did they sport with that infinite one who had taken on a finite form in order to delight the world. He was the all-knower who was completely detached from all things and ever poised in the bliss of the self. Yet he invested everything he did with the zest and enthusiasm of a child. He was the cosmic beloved, yet he made each gopi feel that he was her own special lover. Each night as they ran to him in disarray, leaving all the unfinished work behind at the call of his magic flute, he would take special bar, prepared for each one individually, and repair their toilet with his own hands. He would comb their hair and put colorium in their eyes, and the sacred red dot on their foreheads, and anoint them with sweet-smelling unguents, and adorn their tresses with jasmine garlands. This he did to not one but to all the gobies. Then he would lead them to the banks of the Yamuna and dance the rasa. After that they would sport in the to get rid of their fatigue before returning to their homes. Towards the early hours of the morning, persuaded by their beloved, the gobies would return to their homes unwillingly. Owing to the Lord's mysterious power, the gopas did not miss their womenfolk and felt no ill-will towards him. In fact, they worshipped him as God. The Lord assumes a human body and sports in many ways that are suited to fill his purpose for the blessing of all mankind and to draw towards himself even those who are not spiritually inclined. Sexual passion is normally considered to be a hindrance to spiritual life. But since their minds were attracted to him, who was the repository of holiness and purity, the gobies became paragons of virtue and devotion, extolled even by the sages. In the Bhagavad Purana it is said, all those who read this particular episode in the life of the Lord will be able to subdue their own sexual craving and direct it towards him the Supreme Beloved. Thus ends the ninth chapter of Sri Krishna Leela, named The Divine Lover. Hari Om Tatsat.
Yeah. 